I do want to thank you for being here. And um, again, I, I say this frequently. I know there's a lot of churches in the area that you could be worshiping at. And the fact that you're here and you've chosen this church, I never, ever take that lightly. So thank you very much. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're blessed by the worship. Because the worship is as vertical as we can make it. We, are, we very, very much stay diligent on the lyrics of these songs that we sing on any of the campuses during any of the times. And I'm hoping you're blessed. And how amazing is it that God has brought so many phenomenal musicians to this church. So I am constantly amazed. Amen. I am constantly amazed. There's a story of a Spanish father and son who had stopped speaking with each other, and the son ran away. Now, I want you to hear this. The father set off to find him, searching for months to no avail, and finally, in a last desperate effort to find his son, the father puts an ad in a Madrid newspaper. And the ad reads this way, Dear Paco, that was his son's name, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. This is a true story. On that Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love for their fathers. It's always a concern of mine when I speak on the fatherhood of God, that some of you whose earthly fathers are or were very poor examples of fatherhood, that you would be bothered by this particular name of God. I always get concerned about that. Because overly harsh, distant, unloving fathers, they can create a barrier to understanding the glory and the freeing knowledge that we have if you're in Christ, a heavenly father. There are many who view God, I mean, you know this, right? There's a lot of people who view God as harsh, joyless, distant, always ready to punish at the very slightest provocation of disobedience or failure. I mean, that's just the way a lot of people view God, the Father. In fact, this concern has actually moved a lot of preachers to sort of amputate the fatherhood of God from their sermons and take the name of the Father away from the list of the names of God that they preach. A lot of preachers do this. In fact, there was a book written by a man named Bishop Robinson called The Honest to God. Now, you got to hear this. It was hailed as brilliant because he did not, he purposefully did not talk about the fatherhood of God to that generation's reality of a family largely being broken down. He was speaking to a demographic or a group of people whose families were predominantly broken. So he was hailed as brilliant because he never once talked about the fatherhood of God. Friends, I'm going to tell you, I think that is an incredible mistake. Because what we need now more than ever are clear and passionate teachings of the fatherhood of God. And they, we need them to renew the minds of those who have been hurt terribly by their fathers. So here we go. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to sort of get your mind in gear for a moment. Even right at the beginning of this. 
Now, I don't want your hands to be shown. I just want you to think and reflect. How many of you, your earthly fathers, were not only not good examples of God, they were terrible examples of God? Because I'm not really sure if it's correct and true, but I was trained that children first begin to form their pictures and their images and their rudimentary basic understandings of God through their earthly fathers before the age of six. Now, if that's true, I want you to think of your earthly fathers for a moment. Are they good examples of, of God? Do they reflect, even imperfectly, but do they reflect well the image of God as the Heavenly Father? Now, I know for a fact that some of you can say excitedly and thankfully, yes. And all of us, probably, most of us, maybe all of us, can say, yeah, parts of my father were wonderful and reflected well to God. But I'm asking you on the whole, if you take your father and strip judgmentalism and condemnation away, on the whole, did your father reflect God? If he didn't, then you're probably battling for all of your life since a real, adequate, powerful understanding of God, our Heavenly Father. And as we move into this name for God, and as we begin to remember again that the names that God has given to us in the Bible were names that God gave to us, not names that any person came up with. God always revealed his names. He gave them to us. Now listen, look at me. They function as windows that when you look through them, all of a sudden the blinds parts or the blinds go up, the drapes part, and you can finally and clearly, or at least more clearly, see the nature and the attributes and the character of God. God gives us names and he gives us a glimpse into who he really is. Remember, we looked two weeks ago at Jehovah. That was a name that came from Yahweh, same name. And remember, we saw in Jehovah, the name means the self-revealing God, the eternally unchanging God. Now listen, it got better. The personal God who gives us that name only to his children. Listen, he didn't give the name Yahweh or Jehovah to any other people group on the planet, only to his people. And it functions as a password that when you know it, you are brought into his ever-faithful Always loving nature, which never changes. And then last week, we looked at the name Elohim, and that was a window as well. Blinds part went up, uh, drapes parted, and all of a sudden we could see the creator God, the powerful God who created all that there is, including us. You know, right? You know that you're created. Listen, if you think that you were created by accidents, because of an accidental union of a man and a woman, you don't understand Elohim. There's never an accident. Because he's a sovereign always over God. He's over his creation. And he has a plan for all his creation. And that, that creation, is we're part of that. He has a plan for us. And listen, he has a purpose for your life. If he doesn't, if you don't, if, if, the God, if God's purposes for your life were done, you would be gone from this planet. I can't possibly say that strongly enough. The fact that you're breathing and that you're here today, you're looking at me, you're listening to this, tells you, wow, God still has a purpose for my life. And if I don't know it, Lord, I'm going to 
Go on a journey to discover it. The way you discover your journey, the way you discover your purpose, is you find Elohim, and you go through that window, and he begins to reveal. So it's no surprise today, this weekend, Father's Day weekend, we look at the, the name for God called Father. And the scene that we're going to be looking in is very familiar probably to most of us, if not all of us. It's in Matthew's Gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Let's get your Bibles open to them. We're only really looking at one verse. And it's the, it's the great, great prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And I want to bring a very, very subtle perspective to you. He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching us, if you're in Christ. He's teaching us how to pray. And he could have, now look at me for a moment, because this is so subtle that I'm afraid we're going to miss it. He could have said any name for God. He could have given us any name for God. I mean, it could have read Elohim in heaven, Jehovah in heaven, Jehovah Jireh in heaven, El Elyon in heaven. He could have given any name for God, but of all the names of God that Jesus wanted to give, this is the name that he gave. Let's read it together. Pray then like this, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's look at what incredible impact this name of God can have in a Christian's life. Here's the first one. It's very simple. Nothing tonight, nothing today in this sermon is complicated. If God is your Father, then you have a special relationship with Him. And all of a sudden, some of you cynics whom I love so much are thinking that's the understatement of the year. Well, if God is your Father, then you have a special relationship with Him. Now, you could probably flit over that in your mind and go, man, I hope this message gets better in the next few points, because right now it's starting out as a dud. Well, maybe you're not grabbing this yet. If God is your Father, then you, Christian, have a special, unique, different than the world relationship with God. I mean, think about it this way. A man can be a father in the paternal sense of the word, but then abandon his child. Some of you have experienced this. Now listen. Or, contrast, or a man can raise up his children in a relationship of love and intimacy and demonstrate fatherhood. So a man can be a father without living out fatherhood. The fatherhood of God is what is in the aim of verse 9. And it was supremely dear to the Jews. Listen to these three verses. You are the sons of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy. That's very early in the Old Testament. You are the sons of the Lord your God. Already beginning to create this father to child relationship. I am a father to Israel. Jeremiah 31 9. Is not he, God, your father who created you, Elohim? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Again, Deuteronomy. These are all very early in the Old Testament. Here's what it's doing. 
It's beginning to lay down the foundation that there is an incredible name for God that's not going to be seen clearly until you get Jesus on the scene because Jesus is going to show us his father. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? See, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament. It's called progressive revelation. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are made clearer as history goes by. And some things really are kind of fuzzy until all of a sudden Jesus gets on the scene. And there's some things even more fuzzy until the epistles, Paul and Peter write their books. And all of a sudden, by the end of Revelation, we've got all the, all the revelation that we're ever going to need. See, the fatherhood of God is going to be made clear through Jesus. But the Jews believed this. And I read it. I'm going to read you a quote from a rabbi. It was an honor to, be, to children to be near their father. And an honor to a father to be near his children. Therefore, make a house for the father that he may dwell near his children. Now, they're talking about earthly fatherhood. And they're extending it now vertically. But let me tell you what the Jews understood in the Old Testament. Are you ready? You've got to get this. They understood the Heavenly Father mainly, now listen, mainly in terms of the sovereign creator God. Now hear this. Who was so holy that he was separate from all of his creatures and absolutely unapproachable. So let me say it again. When the Jews in the Old Testament, even in the time of Jesus, thought of God the Father, here's what would go through their mind. Yeah, he is the Father. He's the Father of all. He's the Creator. He's the Sovereign Ruler. He created everything, but he is holy. He cannot be approached. He's separate from us. They didn't get the intimacy of the Father in heaven. You've got to keep your place. You've got to keep your distance from this holy God. And God is, God, God is referred to, a, to, to um, a father 14 times in the Old Testament. 14 times. They knew that he was the father, but that was their mindset. He's holy. He's unapproachable. He's separate. He reigns over creation. Not, not the father that Jesus is about to show us. Because Jesus infused God's title of father with new meaning, he used that title more than 60 times. Did you hear that? Jesus, the Old Testament, 14 times. All of the Old Testament. Jesus, 60 times. So keep in mind that most scholars, as I'm about to unfold this word uh, for father that we're going to see, I want you, you don't really see this in the text, so you've got to know the background. You ready? Most scholars believe that Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Now remember, the Old Testament written in mostly Hebrew, almost entirely. The New Testament written in mostly Greek with a little bit of Aramaic. But the language that Jesus spoke was Aramaic. It was interpreted, translated into the Greek language. So when we get back to verse 9, let's look at your text. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is speaking in Aramaic language. And the name, Father, the word in the Aramaic language is Abba. Not the rock group. The word, it's an Aramaic term. That's an untranslated Aramaic term. That is pure Aramaic language, Abba. 
It's translated in Koine Greek, which is what most... You know what Koine... Can I take a time out for a second? This is so cool. This gives hope to people like me. The, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. You know what Koine Greek is? It's not classical Greek. Classical Greek is what Socrates and all these high intellectual people spoke. Koine Greek is the everyday language of Greek. It's street Greek. It's country Greek. See, the New Testament was written in a language that meant to be absolutely accessible to everybody. You didn't have to be some high society intellect to understand the New Testament. So Abba is an Aramaic. The Greek word is pater. P-A-T-E-R. And it's father in English. So now I just taught you some Aramaic. We're going to all do it together. Ready? You substitute Abba when it comes to father. Pray then like this. Our in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, the word Abba is used three times, three times in all the New Testament. Now listen, you got to get this. And every time it was used, it was immediately followed by Pater, so that it reads like this. Abba, ho Pater, or Abba, my father. Why? Well, Mark's one of them. Mark was writing to a Gentile audience, so he interpreted the Aramaic. Paul did the others. He did it in Romans. He did it in Ephesians. He was writing to Gentile audiences. So he interprets the Aramaic Abba into Pater, which is in English, Father. Okay, now that's the background. Ready? Let's get some more exciting stuff going. Mark, again, writing to a non-Jewish audience. Here's, here's one time that you're going to see one of the three. Jesus is speaking. You remember he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, just hours before he's going to be crucified, he, he says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There's one of the three. So while Abba does not occur in the Lord's Prayer, because Matthew is writing it to a Greek and wider audience, Jesus surely uttered Abba. What's the word mean? Alright, that was all background, right? Let's get to the good stuff. The word means, or rather the word was used when a child would refer to his father or her father. It's a term for daddy. Now, a lot of you have been taught that. This is daddy, daddy. That's not really where this term developed. So it started as daddy. It was a very affectionate little child's term for daddy. You saw some of them in that video. But gradually the childish tones diminished and it began to be used by adult children with a meaning more like this. Here's the more accurate translation of Abba. Dearest father. Loaded with respect. Loaded with honor. Loaded with intimacy. But slaves in a Jewish household, they were forbidden of ever using this term and referring to the father of the household. So listen, a child can say, dearest father, Abba, but a slave was never allowed to do that. This was a non-term for a slave. It was a term that the disciples would use for their beloved teachers. But no one in Judaism, and this is incredibly important, nobody in Judaism, the religion of the Jews, ever used the term to address God, not before Jesus. And did you hear that? That's amazing. No rabbi 
No Jew would have ever used Abba for God the Father. Why? Remember, he is the creator, sovereign one, holy, separate, above, over. Until Jesus takes this Aramaic term, Abba, Greek translated to pater, and all of a sudden he teaches us how to pray in verse 9, our Abba, our pater in heaven, our dearest Father in heaven. Now a guy named Jeremiah, a long time ago, wrote in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus authorizes his disciples to repeat the word Abba after him. So he's giving us permission, and he gives them a share in his sonship, and he empowers them as his disciples to speak with their Heavenly Father in such a familiar, trusting way as a child would with his Father. Listen, if you don't know God as your dearest Father, and yet you claim the name of Christ, you have put your faith in Christ, well, this is now a portal that is opening up for you that you can find incredibly vast treasures of intimacy from God to you, love from God to you. I don't know anybody that's ever struggled with the belief that you can lose your salvation who has a robust understanding of their Heavenly Father. I don't think they're compatible. So the first thing which seemed like an understatement was this. If God is your Father, then you have a very special relationship to Him. But it's going to get a little bit deeper. You ready? If God is your Father, point two then you are loved by Him. You know, you might think that our day and age is unparalleled by its disregard for the family. I mean, we got it pretty bad, right? You know, Easton ranks higher than the national average in single-parent broken homes, which is one of the reasons that we put a campus down in Easton. We want to bring the gospel to Cheston Elementary School, and the Lord is opening up ways to do that. We want to bring the gospel to the streets of Easton, to those who are thinking about leaving their wives or those thinking about leaving their children. We want to repair, we want to restore, we want to be agents of reconciliation with the power of the gospel. That's why we're down here. It's one of the many reasons. But our day and age, we're in trouble. The family is in trouble today. But let me give you a brief glimpse into the state of the health of the family in first century Rome. This is when Jesus walked the planet. In Roman law, a father had absolute authority and power over his family. He could sell his children as slaves. He could make them work in his fields in chains. He could punish any way he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty in Rome first century. And this power didn't end, by the way, it didn't end when the child turned 18, right? That's our emancipation age. I can't wait till I get 18 and my dad can't tell me what to do. Well, listen, it didn't end at 18. It continued his whole life while his earthly father was alive. When a child was born in Rome, first century, you got to get this. When a child was born, that child was placed at the father's feet. And if the father stooped, and lifted the child, it meant he acknowledged the child and chose to keep the child. But if he turned and walked away from the child lying at the, on the floor at his feet, then he did not want the child, and the child was literally thrown out. 
unwanted children in Rome were left in a Roman forum to become the property of anyone who cared to pick them up. So listen, if you didn't want that child, fathers, you just simply turn around and walk away. The mother had to take the child to the Roman Forum. And if anybody wanted a child, they would go to the Roman Forum. And if they liked that child, they would pick it up. That would be theirs. They were collected. Little babies. You think I'm making this up? I'm not making this up. This is what Rome was like, first century. Little babies who were not wanted by their fathers, were collected at night by people whose jobs were to collect the babies. And they looked after them in order to sell them as slaves or to stock the brothels of Rome as prostitutes, child prostitutes. In fact, the Roman writer Seneca wrote the, these words, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle as they taint, taint the herd. Children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. This is the condition of the family when Jesus was walking the planet. This is what the gospel aims to correct. And the gospel can do that when the people who are speaking the gospel know their heavenly father for who he really is. If you don't know your father for who he really is, you are not able to give the full and robust hope that people need. That there is a God who loves them and will take them in and adopt them as a heavenly father and never ever let them go. I mean, how powerfully beautiful... For many to come to understand what true fatherhood is through God, our Heavenly Father. As a father shows compassion, the psalmist says, to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, worship him, revere him, is what the word means. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He knows we're weak. Friends, did you know that the word of God tells us that God, our Father, loves you and I, if you're a Christian, no less than he loves his own son, Jesus Christ. Now let that trickle in to your mind and start pushing it down into your heart. God the Father loves you, Christian brother and sister, absolutely the same as he loves his son, Jesus. you got to resist the impulse. Your flesh is doing this. It's pushing it out of your heart by going, wow, that's pretty cool. I never really quite thought of it like that. I'll think about it later. Don't let it do it. you got to get that down to your heart. The Father loves you, Christian brother and sister, the same way and degree that he loves his son, Jesus. Pastor Tim, I don't believe that. Well, if that's not true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. Because he said this, The glory that you have given me, as he's praying to his Father, I have given them to you, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and here it is, loved them as you loved me. That word as means in the same way. I'm going to read it again. That the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Listen, how can you give this incredible message of the gospel to people if you don't know the power of your Father's love? 
Because the love of God the Father has an unbreakable grip on us. For It's, it's incredible because look what it says. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power of the unbreakable love of our Father in heaven. Alright, so it's going to get a little deeper. So, if you're in Christ, then you've got a Father that has a really special relationship with you. And you've got a Father that has a, an incredibly deep love for you. But if God is your Father, point three, then you are adopted as His child. Now you ready? Grab hold of this, friends. Boy, I would write this down in your Bible's margin if I were you. Because the New Testament gives us two yardsticks that we can use to measure the incredible love of our Father in heaven. One is the death of Christ on the cross, and it's the one that grabs most of our attention. That's one yardstick. You want to see the love of the Father that He has for us, that He sent His Son because He loved the world. If you want to see the love of the Father, that's one yardstick. You've got to start looking at the cross and don't let your eyes off of it. But there's another yardstick, and that yardstick is lesser known, and too few Christians understand it, but it is just as powerful, and it's called adoption. And the Bible talks about this. See what kind of love John writes. The Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. If you want to see the love of God, then look at the cross and look at the adoption that every Christian child has experienced as the Father has brought us into his family, as his children. Let me give you a warning. Some of you aren't going to agree with this. So study the Word of God. It's popular to say today to say that we're all God's children. Everybody's a child of God. But friends, that's not true. Nowhere does the Bible say that. The world wants you to believe that. Because the world wants to see God without His wrath. He wants to see, the world wants you to see the loving, gracious God without the God that can't even stand sin and recoils from it so badly that He sent His Son to die. If God is just love but no wrath, why would we need mercy? Mercy means that he's a wrathful God that hates our sin, so he did something about it. What he did about it was send Jesus. Not every person on the planet is a child of God. The only one who is a child of God is the man or the woman, the girl or the boy who has put their faith in Christ. That's the only ones on this planet that can use this title, Abba, Father, Dearest Father. For in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote, you are all sons of God through faith. You hear that? Only in Christ Jesus can you be a child of God, and it's through your faith in Him. See, all people are part of God's creation. And God loves the entire world, John 3.16. But only those who are born again through faith in Christ can be called His children. Now, all that to get you to hear, ready? You become a child of God through what the Bible calls adoption. You're saved 
by grace through faith. You're saved and your eternal life is secure in God. But you only become a child of God through what the Bible calls adoption. And the adoption of believers by their heavenly Abba is one of the most healing truths in Scripture. In fact, listen to this quote. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thoughts of being God's child and having God as his father. Father is the Christian name for God. See, in the ancient world, friends, adoption was ordinarily confined to wealthy, childish, childless couples. Those adopted, now listen, those adopted were not normally infants like they are in our culture, but young adults. It is by nature an act of choice, adopting is. It's not compulsion. It's an expression of free love. God adopts because he chooses to, not because he's bound to by any duty. The truth is that we are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. It's the highest privilege and the highest blessing that the gospel offers. Did you hear that? Read. You're saved the moment you put your faith in Christ. Your eternity is made clear in that precise moment. You've been given in that moment a new heart, your old heart of flesh, or your whole old heart of stone and flesh was taken out. You've been given a new heart that the Spirit lives in, dwells in, which begins to beat for God, begins to desire the things that God wants. But it's through the adoption of God that you now are brought into the family of God and all the blessings that the Father has to Jesus are poured out on you. Listen, your flesh is trying to push that out of your heart right now. I know it is. Because it tries to do that for me. And you've got to let the Spirit of God get it down. It's not my preaching that can get this truth to your heart. It's the Spirit of God. I'm getting it to you and you've got to receive it. You've got to bring it in and say, God, help me know this truth. But get it beyond knowing with information. Let me know it with my heart and let it transform me. So I quit fearing you, God. So that I quit worrying that you're going to get mad at me. That I quit worrying that you're going to turn me loose and say I'm tired of you. Because an adopting God will never kick you out of his family. Adopting God gives you the blessings that he gives to Jesus' his son. But somebody might argue that justification, which is this, ready? It's God's forgiveness of our sins and giving us peace with him through Christ. That's justification. Made right, made righteous. Somebody's going to argue that justification is the highest privilege of the gospel. And, and I would tell you that justification, being made right with God through Christ, it is a most fundamental and primary blessing of the gospel because it meets our deepest need. We need peace with God. That's justification. But to understand the intimacy of the Father's love, the strength and the height and the depth and the breadth and the width, if you want to know the love of God, then you need to begin to understand the adoption. Of God. In fact, J.I. Packer, theologian, argues that the entire Christian life has to be understood in terms of adoption. Now listen, you ready? Our Father always desires the company of His children. Dads, be honest. 
Haven't you ever had those moments, maybe rarely, maybe seldom, or maybe a lot, where you kind of wish, kids, would you kind of go play, go watch TV, I need some time alone. Tired, it was a stressful day at work. I just need to sort of de-escalate, right? God never once, ever said that to you. He always desires the company of you. The Father always is accessible to you. You will never, ever find God to have a busy signal. Or a sign on the door of the portals of heaven saying, I'll be back in five minutes. God is always accessible to you. In fact, I remember Abraham Lincoln's son. Back in the day when this could happen, true story. There was a gentleman that needed to see Abraham Lincoln, but he couldn't, his president, he couldn't see President Lincoln because he couldn't get an appointment. And he met Abraham's little uh, boy, five-year-old boy. He began to talk and he endeared himself to the boy. And the boy says, you want to see my daddy? Well, listen, I can get you in there. And he takes the hand of this man who is a relative stranger and walks past all of the security right into the office of Abraham Lincoln and says, Dad, this man wants to talk to you. That's a true story. That's the way it works when you're adopted in the child, as a child of God. Jesus brings you into the, the Father's throne. And there's never a moment when he's in an appointment. And our Father loves to outgive our expectations. Our Father always knows what's best for us. The children of God want to imitate their Father. They want to glorify their Father. They want to please their Father. This is all what it means to be adopted into the family of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, second occurrence of Abba in the Bible, Abba Father, Abba Pater, Romans 8, 15. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus says? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You do know, right, that sparrows were the cheapest of birds. They were cheap little birds you could get two for a penny. Two for a penny. Two for a little tiny, smallest currency coin that the Jews had. In fact, in Luke 12, 6, Jesus says five sparrows were worth two pennies. So you can not only get two for a penny, if you wanted five, you got one extra. It's like a baker's dozen. In the market, you could buy two sparrows for a penny, but if you were willing to spend another penny, then they would not only throw the sparrow for free, but they kept upping that the more you wanted to buy. The extra bird was worthless. They didn't care. This insignificant of all birds, it could not even fall to the ground without God's knowledge. How priceless in comparison is the father's knowledge and care for his children. So what we've learned is if God is your father, you've got a special relationship with him. He's got a lot of love for you. You've been adopted into his family. But if God, number four, and finally, if God is your father, then you are his Heir. H-E-I-R. You know what? In the Roman culture, let's go back and look at it. In the Roman culture, a, a wealthy, childless couple 
would adopt a young man. Remember, they very rarely adopted infants. They needed somebody they knew was going to survive. And in that day, you never knew if the infant, the baby, was going to make it to adulthood. So they adopted older kids, but they needed kids who could work immediately a return on investment. So in the Roman culture of adoption, a wealthy childless couple would adopt a young man to carry on the family name and who would inherit the family's resources. The Spirit himself, Paul wrote, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The very same blessings and riches that the Father lavishes on the Son, He lavishes on you, child of God. Can you even understand that? That is so phenomenally above what we normally think. Let me put it in more graphic terms. You ready? Now look at me. This is so huge. If you're in Christ, put your faith in Christ. God looking at you right now the way he looks at his son, eyes wide, full of love and adoration. You are his blood-bought treasure. You are the apple of his eye, which means that his, his eyelids close protectively when something comes to harm you. You're the pupil. His eyelids close to protect you. That's what it means, the apple, the pupil of his eye. He looks at you right now, child. You better get this. you got to get it down in your heart. He's looking at you right now in the very same loving, adoring, lavishing way that he looks at Jesus right now. There is no difference. But Tim, you don't understand the week I had. You don't understand the things I did. Listen, just confess. Throw them out. That's what the word means. Throw them onto the mercies of God. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But his eyes never closed away from you. His eyes never looked away from you saying, I am done with you. His eyes always looked to you and he sent his spirit to convict you so that you would feel guilty. So that guilt would move you to say, I want this junk out of my life because it's robbing me of peace with my heavenly father of whom I am a child. And I'm going to throw it onto him through confession so that I can be shalom at peace with him again. See, the unsaved cannot claim an inheritance from God. It is exclusively a right to the sons and the daughters of God. When a brand new believer comes into the family of God, she does so with the full rights of an adult daughter of God. Listen, Christian brother and sister, you inherit the entire estate of God's immeasurable wealth. Listen, he's not giving you just a portion of it, saying, when you prove yourself a good child, I'll give you more. He's giving you all of it now through Christ. Beloved, we are God's children now, John wrote, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We are God's children now. And one day we're going to enjoy the full experience of the heavenly life that is now enjoyed 
purely and incredibly and awesomely by our elder brother, Jesus Christ. That's right, elder brother. We are siblings of Christ. He is our brother. We've been adopted into him, into his family. Father God is our heavenly father. Jesus is our brother. And right now we sip and we taste at these riches, but they're coming to us one day in glory. And there are weights for the children of God, the surpassing grandeur of our inheritance. And as audacious as that seems that I'm telling you, true nonetheless, it is our inheritance, no less than it's Christ. Now listen to this, and I'm almost done. You know how you know it's your inheritance? Because the Holy Spirit is the divine down payment. It's the divine deposit. It's guaranteeing that one day you get it all. Right now, the Spirit of God lives in you, Christian brother and sister. It is the sign for you that God has adopted you into his family. He is guaranteeing you what will one day be a reality and glory. He's giving you the Spirit of God, which is If you are a child of the Heavenly Father, Abba, Pater, Aramaic, Greek, English, Father. If you are a child of your dearest Father in Heaven, you have a special relationship with Him. He has got a lot of love for you. And He has adopted you into His family. And you are guaranteed an inheritance that you cannot even imagine on this earth. We have a God who loves us as a father. He has chosen to adopt us into his family. And he has blessed us and guaranteed us this incredible inheritance. Only you, Christian brother and sister, have the true use for the name Abba, Father. Only you. Now listen. Use it. Do it more than just say, dear Father, when you begin your prayer. Begin to come to your Father in heaven, knowing that he has a special love for you. You are in a special relationship. It's called adoption, and he's got an inheritance for you, and he promised it to you, and he guaranteed it through the Holy Spirit. That's how you come through the portal or the window of Abba. And you begin to see that unshakable, severe, ferocious love. It will never, ever, ever let you go, and it will never stop lavishing you with his love and it will remake you into his image. It's the name for God called Father. And it's what Jesus took and reapplied in a way that no Jew ever saw coming. And it's our name for our God. Let's pray.